This episode is sponsored by JB Media. Tired of searching the web for a map that really brings to life the world you're setting for your players? Have you ever found one that's almost what you're looking for, but you need to add a little chaos and destruction to it? Look no further. JB Media designs maps and assets for your virtual tabletop. That's right. If you have a vision, JB Media can bring it to life, creating an immersive experience for your players that's unique to your campaign. Whether you're looking for a custom map for your VTT or simply assets for your maps, JB Media has you covered. You'll find bundles for summoning circles, ruins, rubble, things that are definitely not mimics, and more. Available for purchase on Roll20 and Patreon. Check out their work and give them a follow on Instagram at jbmedia.dnd and on Patreon. Links provided below in the episode description. Hello, all of you lovely listeners. I'm Kristen, and this is another episode of the WCK Podcast. In our last episode, we talked about flavoring our characters and making them unique, and today we're going to continue along in that same vein. Creating a personality for your character is a large part of the battle, but then what happens when your character does things? I cast Spirit Guardians. That gets your attentions across, but shaping it to what it really looks like gives everyone else a visual that can paint a different picture for the fellow players at the table. It gives incredible depth to the storytelling as well. This comes easily for some people, but for so many others, it's a big challenge. Honestly, I think a lot of times people just don't think about this part of it. I'm sitting down with those familiar, friendly faces, or should I say voices, of Lee, Joe, and Jason again to talk about it. For those of you who have played with them before, you know that this is an area that they all particularly excel in. First of all, hiya, fellas. Hello. Hello. Um, how are we all doing today? Good. Good. Oh, I was insulted by the host, but I'm fine. Yeah. I'm wow. Fine. I was n- I, th- okay. All right. It's not. We're not going to get into it right now. It was not. I, I, okay. <laughs> also, for anybody listening, I would love your opinions on fruitcake. So there's comment sections. I think on every platform that you could possibly listen to this to. Um, just you know, give your general opinions on fruitcake. Yeah, not 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 to be mistaken with Lee's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, here we go. We have to mark this content explicit for everyone now. <laughs> Just put a beep over. It'll be fine. Eyes, eyes right on you, Jason. Let's start. During a recent session, you had a character who was a Goliath with a glass eye. Um, he was a ranger, right? He was a ranger, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things he did, which was incredibly helpful to a party full of halflings without dark vision, was cast the dark vision spell, granting them sight in the dark. Um, but I would love for you to just let our listeners know how you flavored that. Um, what was the visual you gave us as you cast that spell? Right. So the other players were familiar with Fawn's look and his glass eye. And I, I thought, oh, how can I use the description of the character in order to flavor the spells? Rangers aren't really known for the magical abilities, not casting a spell from a wand or a staff. Uh, yeah. It's a little bit more nature adjacent. So I wanted something to be more of a, a alchemical mix. So with the glass, glass eye, it provides him vision. So I thought maybe if I rub my hand into the goo that is around the glass eye, that kind of gives it its magical abilities and rub that on to my colleagues' eyes, it would give them the sight of dark vision as well, which I thought fit 
the character and it was a little player to narratively kind of make it the, the rest of the players go ew but kind of it still made sense because it was yeah from him and it's already like kind of established in his law that's what he does um why would it not work for somebody else rather than come up with a whole situation where i'm casting a whole spell on a ritual for 10 minutes or whatever or put yeah. my hand up. he's just not that kind of person he's, he's very much a I know how to do this. I know how it works. I'm just going to stick a finger in my eye, jab it into somebody <laughs> else's and <laughs> give it to somebody else. And then you get that reaction, which I think brings everybody mm-hmm. back into the zone of uh, immersion within the game as well. So I kind of like to yeah. help out the DMs in, in the, those scenarios. It was disgustingly brilliant. Um, <laughs> Joe was the DM uh, during that session. Um, Joe, when he said that, I feel like we all kind of had the same reaction, but correct me if I'm wrong. Um, did you like dry heave a little bit? I, I had to step away from the mic for a moment because <laughs> it was traumatic to me. Um, <laughs> but it was beautiful because there's, there's no, there is no way not to... Mm-hmm. picture that happening in your mind even if you're not the sort of person who um you know can yeah do like that. me yeah. It, yeah you still the i think especially it's especially powerful because it's something that you can imagine someone in the real world doing right now like oh if, if but you know what i mean like i if someone said oh just think if i like wipe my eye and then wiped it on your like someone could physically do that it's not like yeah exactly you have yeah. the same reaction because you're imagining someone doing it to you right now it's yeah. not something so fantastical that you have to like form ideas about how there's no ambiguity that's what yeah. I'm yeah. yeah it's there's like no straight, ambiguity. you know exactly what i'm trying to get you to picture when i describe something along those lines which yeah. is my favorite way to flavor stuff is to give you as little mental work as possible for you to imagine yeah. what exactly what I'm trying to put across. Now, did you have that idea in mind before, like when you took <laughs> no, the spell no, at that totally, point, or totally it just came to you in the moment? I was like, I was like, I, I'm really good at in the moment going, what makes the most sense for me to do something here, and that's just the way mm-hmm. my mind works, and it's often how I DM stuff as well and try and rationalize what's going on in the games. Yeah. So most of that flavor stuff is in the moment what makes sense mostly right right there and then it's not something i think about prior to to the game yeah uh now let's let's jump over to lee um because we had actually a session last night with one of your newer characters and there were a bunch of very creative visuals there but this was session like two basically um and so uh, there was this kind of thread that seemed to sew the magic um, and visualization together for that character as an entirety. Is that something that you had planned out beforehand or just something that you felt in the moment and then decided, okay, I kind of like this and I'm going to just continue on with this look for this character? Um, so I usually draw off my backstory depending on what sort of... Uh, Playing a warlock, obviously. Um, so mm-hmm. depending on what my patron is, I sort of draw from what spells and abilities they can do to flavor what my abilities are. So mm-hmm. even though I was casting Eldritch Blast, it didn't have to be, you know, your bog standard beam and yep. flavored it to be more vine-like and twisting as it shot out rather than just a, a flash of magic, yeah. um, which is more fitting for my patron, uh, which is... What I like to do is get a few spells under my belt that I can go, when I cast them, these are the ones I want to do and describe them this way. 
and then when I take new spells and stuff, I'll just see how it feels in the moment, um, and depending on how my characters develop, because I think that can have a lot of influence on how your spells work as well. Yeah, um, and narratively, it's great for me because you said the vines do it and it wraps around its head. And like, great, I, Lee is literally handing me on a plate a description of how he just crushes the skull because uh-huh. it's vine based and he starts to like, you know, I was thinking like anaconda kind of crush around it. And it, for the, from the DM's point of view, I can then use that information Lee's given me and put that into the game. So thank, thanks for that, Lee. It's, it's super creative on your part and allows me to then continue that creating of creativeness for descriptive purposes which is uh, awesome. I love doing it. Yeah, I think that that's something that, that goes overlooked a lot of times. Um, often it completely falls on the DM to kind of fill in the gaps when you say, I cast Fireball, and the DM feels like, oh, I really want to paint this scene for you. So then the DM starts to describe what's happening. Um, but especially, uh, we've talked before, all of our characters are unique. And you giving something to your DM to work with, like, ooh, if this character is going to be um, in tune with vines and a lot of their magic, even though they're a warlock, kind of looks like nature, then that gives me a good jumping off point for anything I have to describe for this character. Um, so helping out your DM is great and they will love you so much for it. Um, but yeah, no, I, um, I was thrown off a little bit because you said Anaconda and then my brain went, I don't want none. Okay. So back on track. We're focused again. Um, (laughs) Joe, you also have some pretty great descriptions for a lot of your characters and I was going to come around to you anyway, because, um, you know, our warlock boy said Eldritch Blast, and it reminded me of in your Ice Spires peak campaign. He um, was a celestial warlock, and so he had a, a unicorn patron, and his Eldritch Blasts were these little unicorns that went and often used their horns in inappropriate ways. But um, it was a great visual to to think about this warlock casting this you know, cliche kind of spell, but it was flavored so differently that they're these unicorns like prancing up and Mm -hmm. doing their thing. Um, So you've had experience on that side, but you are also very creative in terms of flavoring your own actions and spells and whatnot. So um, talk to me about your process. Does it come to you in the moment? Is it something that you have thought about upon like character creation or even level up when you choose a spell? I... I think it depends on the character. So um, the character that I played um, in Curse of Strahd and who I've carried over into, you know, transported into, into Lee's campaign, a lot of his uh, spells and actions were sort of already flavoured in my head because I built this backstory around um, someone who was meant to be deceptive and artistic and I wanted his spells because he was meant to be low-level deceitful, I wanted them all to sort of be transparent to people so they didn't realise that they were being cast. So I, I had in mind way before anything was mine, I had a um, notepad file that contains all of the things that, like, oh, if I cast this, this is what's going to happen. Because I found it difficult to keep track of um, what each spell did. Actually, I did the same with Khan, um, because Khan was my artificer and he... Uh, typically made things and the flavor almost all of his spells had were to make a creature of some sort so i had Mm -hmm. a a notepad file that was like oh this spell equals this creature that looks like this and does this because otherwise keeping track would have been impossible 
And while that doesn't technically matter, because it's just flavour, it was nice to try and be as consistent as possible. And also fun to think about, like, oh, if I'm casting a, a shield, what's a good representation of that that could visually make sense that, you know, so, like, I made a little armadillo that would climb onto your back, and then it would retract and you'd be left with its shot. Stuff like that, that, that was easy to plan for. So for those mm -hmm. two characters, everything was planned in advance and documented so that I could be consistent and, and retain um, the same kind of the same kind of mindsets. But for just as many of my characters, I give no thought whatsoever to how I'm going to flavor it. And actually, again, in the campaign we're currently playing, I play a fairy monk um, called Elo. And not only had I not thought about the flavor beforehand, I didn't really think about the flavor in the moment until Jason said to me, and how does that look? And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, oh yeah how does that look actually and had a moment of and i think i think i'm relatively good at thinking on my feet um and coming up with stuff and i have to say i'm not disappointed by the way i describe it either because sometimes that split decision of like not having time to think about it not having time to like ruminate over what's going to look cool or be best or you know work overthink about it yeah yeah exactly sometimes you just come up with stuff like what i came up with for elo was super simple but actually very very on brand for the character that they are um mm -hmm. they're all about life force i just said that they're they're key as it manifests it's not multiple punches that they're throwing it essentially creates this force around them that's like an extra shockwave of force easy and simple um elegant and i think it's fairly easy to visualize i, I think uh, yeah, again no, though it was great because of that description, Joe, allow me to go, well, you've never fought this creature before, so now I can explain away these misses that you're getting, rather than say, oh, mm -hmm. you miss and you spoof it. I have a reason yeah. of why you miss, which I hope, um, I think we talked about this in prior episodes about when we've talked about DMs, it allows me to make you feel like it's not your yeah. fault, it's not your character's fault that you missed. Yeah. It's the relevant information at the, the moment which has caused you to miss. Same with you, like being uh, under the pressure and you've <laughs> rolled so bad. I was like, I need some way to not make him feel so shit. I need the actual reason, legitimately, that makes sense to explain away why uh, Samuel in this moment is not performing to the best of his capabilities. And, uh, you know, with the description of your spells like that, it, it gives the DM that information to use back against you to help you out narratively in those situations, which is always fantastic um, from a DM's perspective. And I feel like it goes both ways as well, because thinking back to Karatikas, that was one of Alistair's characters in my I Spy Peak campaign, he, because he described these unicorns, it like you say, it meant that I could describe when he missed, his were literal, literal ethereal unicorns that galloped forward so when he only had one one um, eldritch blast it was one unicorn they multiplied as he leveled up because you get more blasts so that was an easy, easy way to describe it rather than him, him having to go pew 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 um and like you say it meant that i could describe if he missed essentially those unicorns behaved fairly naturally so could you know be spooked to move away or could physically kind of gallop in the wrong direction but it also meant that they could hit where it seemed like an impossible situation for him to hit. Mm -hmm. Like if there, if it was um, on the, just the very, very verge of being able to see his target, or if it was, I could describe that these unicorns would gallop around obstacles and stuff. And that was really fun too. Like not just being able to help describe why your characters might fail, but also helping to describe 
why they might succeed was very yeah. cool too. Now, so some of us use documents, whether they are on the computer or in some sort of notebook to kind of keep track of what certain spells look like. Then we are hit in the moment and maybe we describe something differently or we didn't have access to whatever it was and we find that it was a different spell description of a spell that I've cast a couple of times before. And maybe I'm the only one that does that, but I don't think that I am the only one that does that. How do you feel about staying consistent once you have established what a spell looks like? Is there ever room for it to change visually for you? Um, so, for example, right, like Thivara, I've talked about before. She was an Eladrin. I'm pretty sure is how I've heard it pronounced most of the time but um so she was seasonal so it makes sense for a character like that if she has a firebolt to look differently depending on what season she's in but i mean do anybody's emotions or the surrounding circumstances have the leeway to be able to change what your spell visually kind of looks like yeah 100 percent. i think that's just something that's going to happen over time as you as you develop as a person i think your abilities would change it's not just going to stay well, for me, in my mind, it sh should normally not stay consistent and be that forever. Some abilities might never change, but I guess, like in some of my characters' um, flavor, as their alignment sort of shifted, the spells would sort of change. So rather than looking more necrotic, they might look more radiant. And I think that's something that a DM could nudge you with and help you to do. But yeah, I... I don't think it should be static in, in my eyes i think you've, you've always got that window and even if your alignment doesn't change or anything like that there's i doubt there's a dm who's going to stop you from just going well my eldritch blast or whatever my spell has changed now and if they're worth their salt they'll be able to explain it for you i, I definitely agree with lee and, and lee talking there you remind me of willie and his kind of alignment change shall we say here Having this alter ego from his uh, astral elf or astral monk things now being corrupted, have coming up a flavor for what what the corrupted spells look like, also is is real fun in the moment. I've got this smell. It's like summon demon spawn or whatever it is, but the demon mm -hmm. because of the whole thing, he is now what Jeremy was on the inside has now become this demon. So I when I cast these spells. It's actually this ghost thing. It's like a corrupted version of my astral, spiritual monk self from the prior classes before the alter altercation, uh, which is great for narrative purposes uh, as well as it's it's an awesome opportunity to flavor some of these new spells and abilities. But I think logically, as your character becomes more powerful, it's only natural to evolve how the spells look so they look more powerful or look more adjacent to what your current uh, character's feelings are or emotional state is you know if you cast some fireball at, at the earliest you can cast it and then casting it at like level nine there's going to be a visual difference even if it's just the size but even how it's cast because you're more disciplined and more trained because you've been doing this spell over and over again as you continue through a campaign or or a one shot yeah, I feel like I, I mean, with with Karna described, he he made physically made things as his spells, um, and I tried to be as consistent as possible. I was not against him, you know, inventing something new for the same spell, but at the same time, there was no unless there was good reason for him to do so. I would never have changed 
they were practically set in stone unless he discovered something new or lost something that would have prevented him from making the spell in yeah. the form that he he described it whereas scratch again wrote all of his his actions his sort of spell flavor down but at the same time um his uh bardic inspiration initially was always a poem always categorically and for two reasons that's been diversified uh, firstly because because believe it or not coming up with bespoke personalized poems even small limericks mm. for every mm -hmm. single time you want to use bardic inspiration is is hard work and i yep. did it for like eight months and then decided this is i've got to stop doing this to myself um so diversified slightly but also like you guys described he developed as a person and as a character and he he was he was he was much more about kind of cutting words and kind words as a way to manipulate people and now is much more kind of at the back he still does that but he's much more likely to do it at the back quietly either with a picture or a song um or music or what have you um and yeah it was important that i didn't shy away from that because he developed as a character so so should his spells and the way he does them develop um i think that scratch um <laughs> when he was doing his bardic inspirations and i realized what was happening and i realized very quickly in the space of like two minutes he had completely different poems that he was sending to people it stressed me out a little bit i'm like oh, can he keep how can he keep this up there was like it was a lot um it was very impressive very impressive but um also yeah and i think that that brings up a good point is that um you can go crazy with trying to flavor things and and make it look a certain way but at some point if it becomes a lot for you and it's taking away your joy right or or your ability to be present because i can't fully be present if i'm sitting over here trying to work on a 15 line poem for somebody else then it's okay to change it it's okay to change it. Um, and there are certain characters like maybe Karn, and that could even be part of, actually, it feels right to say that that might have even been part of his personality. Like, if it's not broke, I'm not going to fix it. And so I just keep on. Where there are certain other characters where their growth would change what it looked like. Um, that's interesting. So let's let's go around and talk about, it doesn't have to be any specific character, but it's just the first one that you can think of, um, a specific visual of a spell that you really enjoyed, maybe one that you came up with, maybe one that another player came up with, but one that like you really just, without even close your eyes, you were hit with the visual just kind of playing out right in front of you. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is Zachariah's shield. Uh, I feel like that's because it was personal to him and his family and it's what he stood for. And I feel like that's a great one to change over time because it, it, the shield can be and look like anything. But Zachariah yeah. loves his family. Uh, he loves where he come, comes from. Um, but he's learning a lot of new stuff recently and it may change the visuals of these kind of spells that he has dedicated with visuals for his family might change over time depending on what is to come and and scenarios that may appear and i feel like when you said like think of a character thinking the mm -hmm. the abaton symbol on the shield the snakes and the gold as his shield yep. that's the first thing that came into my my mind but it's so simple as a flavor as well it's just a shield it's just a shield yep. spell but it's it part of that character and it's personal to them and it's a little bit but it brings the role play into the flavor of the 
the character as well. It's not just any shield. I'm making it look super cool, and it's uh, like all these like little ones that are around me, or it's a force field. It's personal to that specific character. I couldn't use the Abaddon shield on any other character that is not an Abaddon. Right. So yep. it's that. That's the first thing that pops into to my mind. Mine would be the the spirit guardians that somebody had come up with, and it was the um, little raccoons with shields and swords. And I, I thought that was absolutely amazing. And then, <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of steal it now and again, but flavour it is not raccoons. That could be uh, rattlings in the FCC's <laughs> case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, could be, that could be nice, couldn't it? Spirit Guardians is the best! <laughs> um... <laughs> Joe, do you have anything that pops out at you? Yeah, I, I mean, I could easily say uh, there's a couple of warlocks, like you say, Alistair's, Alistair's uh, mm. Karatikus with his unicorns, and I've uh, you as a cleric, and actually pretty much any cleric, a lot of the time because they do sort of pray to their deity or something, they, the visual is very easy to imagine no matter how they flavour it. Mm-hmm. But one that I think is massively underrated and I really appreciated was uh, one of my players, Liam, played a barbarian called Betty, who mm-hmm. was just short, and stout halfling uh and when she and it's sort of not a spell but when she raged mm-hmm. his description of it initially was just well i'm getting very angry and it mm-hmm. put me in mind of every british mother across the country <laughs> but specifically also kind of made me think of if you've ever seen uh monty python's the life of brian Sometimes mm. the way he spoke and the way he the way he described it just made me think of of Brian's mother going, "He's not the Messiah. He's a very <laughs> naughty boy." <laughs> and it was just that, like, so simple, so low key. And it was like he walking walk into battle and be like, "I'm going to rage," and I'm very angry. Mm-hmm. And the visual that he gave with it was very simple, very effective. Didn't slow down the game at all, but really entertaining. And I loved it. That's great. Um, I I think. That it it didn't hit me in the moment, but now that you say it, you're a hundred percent right. Absolutely, that visual. Um, I think for me, uh, the first thing that that popped out into my brain was um, Daisha, who I've spoken about before, uh, is a draconic bloodline sorcerer. She is reborn, and her shield was that um kind of ancestral protection idea so these spectral wings dragon wings would sprout from her back and wrap around her and so it wasn't even necessarily her shielding herself it was a reaction of these ancestors in her bloodline that were coming to protect her when they could um and then she wound up taking a feat it's a gift of whichever dragon I don't remember but it allowed me to cast something called protective wings where I could then wrap wings um, around another player and I thought that that was cool because I had before I had anticipated that that's the line that she was going to go down I had already flavored the shield spell as the wings and it just allowed those wings to grow and then wrap around a comrade who was close by me and, and give them a little added bonus to their AC. It's a it's a great evolution of the spell that as well like as as because it is like you go from this point and you've described it this way and then you have another spell that's something similar but to someone else how do I expand that description yep. onto somebody else uh, which it's similar what reasoning of how I got the mozzarella silence for <laughs> your, your character <laughs> it's just a silence spell 
um, but it's mm-hmm. individually based. So I was like, how do I get it to be individual to a character rather than an area effect? And I was like, well, I'll evolve the spell into is a mozzarella ball because it's quite the description of a mozzarella. Everyone knows what it looks like, so it's quite squishy. But you can really you can imagine it to become gooey over time as they yeah. continue to talk, which will cause the the silence. So I I kind of love that that's those spells that you come up with, Chris, and as that evolve over time yeah. and allow allow somebody to use those descriptions in different ways as well. They're pretty awesome. For context, for anybody else. Uh... There is a character in one of Jason's campaigns who doesn't like to shut up very often. And so another character has these like cheese balls that she'll just shove in this character's mouth (laughs) to force them into silence. Um, And it's terrible. I think that it's absolutely (laughs) appalling that you do that to a character and just stifle them in that way. How dare you? Um, but let's, let's talk about then, like you, you use that person's race, right? In that instance, it's a rattling. And so cheese or a mouseling, I don't know technically which one she is, but, um, you, you use the race to kind of flavor the spell, um, or the visual in Daisha's uh, case, it was, she's using her draconic sorcery to flavor what other things do you guys use as inspiration? Um, is it your race? Is it your class? Is it the kind of spell it is and maybe the kind of damage it does? Something else entirely? Does it depend specifically on your character in the moment? Or is there something that you really kind of tend to lean into when you're looking to flavor things? I'm scared to answer. Based, on, based on your reaction to when we talked about um, the image for a character and i was like well i start with my clothes and it's like my work <laughs> uniform because because a lot of my flavor comes from that same place like Your the clothes? reason the well not not just clothes but sort of occupation like yeah the style like yeah. the reason khan created all of his things was not just because he was an artificer which i ha- in my mind is like creator builder whatever it was also because the way i had decked him out his clothes was all sort of like leather leather garb workshop yeah. like woodworksman or iron ironmonger like someone who worked in a workshop and i just imagine well his backstory wise had gone around with his parents constantly being left to, to his own devices with nothing much to do so i imagine he would always be tinkering with stuff uh and inventing stuff okay well that's that's how he's gonna he may as that may as well be his spell flavor um and I keep going to the, back to the same characters, but Scratch was exactly the same. Like he was in the underworld trying to sell stuff on the black market, trying to duplicate and sell forgeries. So all of his spells and all of his um, features are kind of worked around. Well, he's this this like dark robed, hidden, secretive person creature. I want them to be either that or purely based on decept on being deceptive and, mm-hmm. and manipulative. Um, so yeah, it starts from the same place that my image does. It's like I I start with, I I want to say occupation. It doesn't quite cover it, but sort of like what they do, who they are, and work yeah. everything out from that. I think that's fair. It's completely reasonable. I'm like, you know, you're <laughs> starting with your outfit. It's this is much more reasonable, Joe. Okay. <laughs> For me, it's like a a combination of all of it. I I don't think there's any just one. I can pin down. I I think I just just a piece of everything and just mm-hmm. see what feels right when 
when I'm casting my spells or doing yeah. actions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think I'm coming from the same point as Lee again. It, what fits narratively that ties in with the backstory, the current situation, and the class and kind of the personality of the character. And uh, it, it depends. The first time I cast a wall of fire wasn't a wall for for Zachariah when he mm-hmm. lit the family on fire. It was it was built out of pure anger. And it just happened, and I thought, oh, well, it's still going to cost me the spell slot, and I want to look like this because he's not purposely trying to kill these people. It's our anger, mm-hmm. and he has little control over this spell because it's a new spell. It just happens. He, after this point, he can recognize where that power is coming from and control it. But this first mm-hmm. time casting it, totally out of control, and people lost their lives because of it. Uh, which is the way I, I described it: like a flame just starts, and then he panics, and then he leaves because. He has no idea yeah. what how he's done this right now in this moment, and it's a panic. So it definitely depends on where it is going narratively, and mm-hmm. that will definitely affect how I describe it at the time. Uh, so looking for impact and looking for narrative coherence as well. Yeah, I think that that's that's good because that's that when I said something else, right? You're using the story to generate the visuals, the the surrounding circumstance. And I think you are very particular, Jason, in terms of you are very in the moment and then you are kind of inspired, right, um, into creating that visual, whereas Joe, depending on characters, sometimes can be a little more... um, thoughtful beforehand i'm gonna especially with a character that was (laughs) is gonna write poems to everybody you're gonna have to have a little bit of forethought um and then i think lee is probably a little mixture of both and i i think that it's it's really good to kind of sit and analyze what around you what about you you can pull from so for instance um marigold who was a light cleric used um she she worshipped Lathander and he is the sun, he is the dawn, he is, you know, radiance. And so she used a lot of that in her spell descriptions. Um, spirit guardians were these little crackling balls of of light, kind of like at the tip of a, a sparkler firework, right? Um, but that's real easy to be able to pull from because I've got a whole deity full of inspiration to to pull from for my visuals. So it can really come from from anywhere too, if you are struggling with those visuals. Now, flavoring spells is one thing, uh, but flavoring actions is something else. And I don't think that it's something that a lot of people always think about. Um, The only time we kind of think about it is when the DM asks, how do you want to do this? And then you go, oh my God, I don't know how I want to do this. I just stab (laughs) it. I I mean, what else is there? I just, I said Eldritch Blast and boom, 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 whatever happened. do you, I'm going to, the question is, do you put any thought into flavoring your text? But I know the answer is yes. So talk to me about the uh, thought that you put into flavoring your text. And obviously in a combat where you've got six seconds, you cannot draw out this 15 minute long visual of what you did and how you flourished your rapier. But um, from time to time, there are situations that I think warrant good visuals. Um, Liam O'Brien on Critical Role is great for flavoring in combat, even just movements that he makes. So talk to me about what you guys do, how you do it. So it, it, it's again, it's reactionary to me. So it depends on the scenario of if 
if something has just previously happened, how would I react to that? Is it is it just going to be a swipe to the left? Because sometimes that's the best way to go narratively. You just reactionary swing on your turn in a direction. But if you need to make a, a run up and make it like bridge the distance, the gap between two people, that gives you that room to play of how you get from point A to point B and make it describe it so you have that power, the thrust behind the attack. If you're swinging with a warhammer or, or a larger heavy weapon, it allows you to be creative with your words and really describe the impact that it could hit. Um, most of the time, I like to say I'll, I'll move here and I'll roll to hit and then once I know I hit I will backtrack and go well when I've run I've done this and then when it lands it does this and does this much damage because I like to know because I want to if it fails if it misses I want to be able to describe why it misses uh, as well yeah. Um so knowing if you're going to hit before you do that descriptive sort of side to, to just keep mm -hmm. that narrative going is, uh, is, is where I'm coming from um, it's definitely harder with melee attacks and, and weapons because there's only so much range you can do. Uh, right. if, if it's just you're five foot away from another thing and you're just swinging at each other, there's there's a, a, a small margin of description that you can play with. Although I do want to bring up um, in our last episode, which was talking about flavoring characters and making them unique, Joe specifically asked about equipment. And you talked about this goblin character that you had that was wielding this weapon that was yeah. way too big for them. And and for multi-attacks, you just kind of described it as leaning back on their heels and swinging and, yeah, around. Using and using the weight. Yeah. Too, 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 too. Right. Um, so I, I do think that that that's a good case to say that that even your equipment, which you've got around you and on you, um, or even your opponent, what they have on them and around them, um, can be used to help flavor in, that. In that mindset, it always brings you back to Legolas sliding down the stairs shooting orcs at the Battle of Helm's Deep. <laughs> do you know what I mean? He's using the equipment that's around him to do it. And that's yep. where I probably draw a lot of the inspiration for those melee moments is like Lord of the Rings or or melee-focused fantasy genres where you've seen like stunt actors and uh, choreographers do these really cool stunts in the moment um i think the daredevil series is one of my favorites for monks because it's it's not physical weapons it's not a sword it's not a mace or a warhammer it's all fist fighting but the choreography of those fights are second to none uh, the the fantastic well thought out fight scenes that keep you like locked into the fight even though it's just two dudes swinging fists at each other uh, is what it is at the end of the day and he could have done yeah. that in two minutes but for some episodes he stretched a fist fight out for like five seven minutes and you don't get bored by the end of it to just continue fighting and using all the surroundings be around them, walls, doors, um, picking up pans, throwing them, and how they deflect those things that are tossed at the the enemies or at them, as well. It it's a, take a lot of influence from the these professionals that do these choreographed choreographed fights. Use those uh, that experience from these films and put it into your own narrative. Yeah, and I do want to, before I let the other two answer, I do want to just give a disclaimer that um, these people have practice on both sides of the screen. So we talked about before how a lot of that pressure kind of lies on the DM to fill in the gaps of the visual. So they have a lot of practice. So if you're sitting there going like, oh my gosh, I can't, like, <laughs> how do these people even think of this yeah. stuff? I'm kind of thinking the same thing too. So you're not alone. But... 
I think it's it's a it's a good point to say like practice makes perfect um yes, and is. just doing it and pulling inspiration from something that you saw the daredevil series right it's, it's something that you saw you can pull inspiration from anywhere and then just bring it and kind of uh just let it bleed and and kind of filter through the visual that you're trying to create is is a good call so which one of the two of you wants to go next to talk I'll to me go. about it so good i, th I think um Another thing you can pull uh, from during fights and stuff is uh, emotion of your character, how they feel in that moment. If it's an enemy that you've never come across and they're quite frightening, they have this, they might not even cast anything to cause the frightened condition, but your characters could still feel scared of this. Maybe they hold their sword loosely or they swing half-heartedly um, or take a few steps back before making a decision on what they want to do. So I think that is something you can really drive home and flavor your attacks if it's someone they recognize maybe like a mentor that had trained them at one point there can be like a nice rival rivalry there which gives you a little bit i know it's only six seconds but you can have some dialogue and it, for me i feel like a lot of combats we miss out on the dialogue part of it like when i run combat sometimes i forget these are sometimes intelligent enemies they can speak so I need to try and remember that, but yeah, don't be afraid to just have a short conversation uh, during the fights. That's that's an interesting point too. There are a lot of times where, especially if I have a character, and I feel like it happens more often with me than it does a lot of other people. My character will be like, "But why are we fighting? But wait, can we just talk? Can we just talk for a second? Talk for..." And everybody else around is like, "We came here to kill things and swing our swords," and I'm like, "But..." have to so i'm trying to have a conversation in the middle of it but i also don't want to miss out on an attack um and mechanically it's really only six seconds so it's not like you're having this whole exchange but then there's the rule of cool right because at the end of the day you hopefully as a dm and the rest of your party want to have a good time and as long as you're not taking 15 minutes and monologuing to somebody um interjecting pieces of conversation even if you're just gonna call somebody an ugly cucumber nose like it, it happens in the middle of <laughs> listen if you've never wanted to call somebody an ugly cucumber nose i don't know what kind of insults you're slinging but um you know i i there is dialogue if you watch any kind of fight scene right nine times out of ten there's something that's being said even if it's short little like things um for sure. yeah, do you, that's, that's do you ever remember um, Zorro and they do a lot of sword fighting, but it's not about the sword yeah. fighting, it's about the dialogue between the two characters. Yeah. The sword fighting doesn't, they're just touching tips and not really doing <laughs> anything, but it's more about the dialogue of it, <laughs> more about the dialogue between the characters. I was going to bring up, and I, I wonder if there's an age gap here for some of the listeners, but I was going to bring up The Legend of Monkey Island as, with exactly the same point because mm -hmm. the whole, uh, the only fighting mechanic in that whole game is you have to go around the island learning insults and then when you meet other pirates uh it's all just like and then yeah. say insult say rebuttal and that, that's the whole fight scene and i loved it and it makes me think that that sort of interaction not only could but should sort of happen more in dnd i think like encouraging players to feel like they can maybe not have full-blown conversations but at, like you say right. at the very least say your nose looks like a cucumber and just, you never know what's going to happen you never know how your dm is going to react uh most of us as dms i think are good at 
injecting emotion and feeling into the NPCs as well. Mm -hmm. So if you are mean enough, do you know what I'm thinking now of um, Tomb of Annihilation? Our wonderful friend Tom did such an amazing <laughs> job of flavoring the kobolds that we came up against who were mm. in conflict of whether they, like, we needed to surrender to them, but they were terrified little things. And he played mm -hmm. into not just the RP side of that, but even the fighting, re yep. like, um, mirrored that that kind of the way that the things that they were saying and why they were saying them. And that's yeah. super, super important, I think. Um, I also love the the concept of of using the stuff around you. I wanted to just come back to that a minute because so often I hear players, I don't want to use the word complaining, but that's really what it is, that, oh, well, I don't have as much to do as you. Like, mm -hmm. they'll be with a character who's got, like, five or six things that they can do on every turn, and it feels like their turn's taking ages, and they're going through all these different actions, but they get three attacks and a bonus action, and then they can cast... And then they come along, and they're, like, a barbarian, and they rage and attack, and that's the end of that, and they can... Mm -hmm. But if you... If you don't just sit back waiting for your turn, and then when your turn comes, go... Mm, down my sheet, down my sheet. Okay, I got one action and one bonus, and I don't have any bonus. One action. Okay, this is it. If instead of waiting for that to come around, you look around the environment on the map, uh, even message your DM because sometimes they'll be able to like communicate back with you in between while people are working out what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. Find out what you can do and interact with the environment as well. That can be super useful. While players mm -hmm. that, yeah, it feels like they get lots of things, but all they are good at is attacking, attacking, attacking. You could be the person in the back that last night I was... Uh, until one of our players got downed, I was planning on going back to this cage that we found and trying to interact with that so that we could maybe <laughs> use some of the hunks of human in it to distract the things we were fighting or something. Yeah, mm -hmm. but then Lee came in and then used the cage as part of the event, which was awesome. I didn't think you guys would actually use the cage. You're like, oh, a bunch of dead bodies in here. Better feed it to the things that they've been feeding them to. I was like, <laughs> yeah. why would they do this? Why did you drop it to the bad guy's level? Yeah, but, you know, you guys did it. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. It happened. The use of environment always is always a highlight of of my games, uh, especially with you guys, because you are creative minds, and it definitely comes with experience and knowing the limits of what you can do as a player and what the DM would allow, uh, as well. But you, I mean, obviously, if you guys want to push a cage with a bunch of bodies into a like a monster-infested water, <laughs> of course you can. Like, why why would I not allow that? Exactly. But doing that kind of interaction mid-fight is only really possible for those characters that don't have three attacks and two bonus actions and you know the, the players mm -hmm. that i hear consistently saying oh, i haven't got very much to do this round yeah cool we'll think of other things that you can do that don't take an entire action think of the things that you can say to try and find out think of the things you can pick up from the floor because that is at least as useful as the physical fighting and mm -hmm. the people that feel you feel like get lots and lots of turns and actions all they can really do is those actions because they have to be that utility during a fight. Yeah, they well, have yeah to be but it opens up like as a support character main. Those interactions with just casting a spell in a certain area that doesn't really target a enemy but causes some kind of effect or interact with the environment around them. Or even it's like, I cast Grease because I know Kane has got Fireball and he's most likely going to use Fireball. So I'm technically not doing a lot there's some grease on the floor or a spill over a barrel, but I know the other players, because they're always going to be the utility for damage in the fight, are going to use their abilities 
and knowing what they're going to do allows me to use the environment effectively for the game. And I think a lot of people feel like it's the they don't feel like they're effective enough, which is why they get disheartened in trying to be effective because it, it does take time uh, and interacting with the environment. And it depends on the DM that you've been learning with as well. If your DM that you've been learning with is very restricting on what you can do with the environment, it can sort of null you to that. So when you go into future games with different DMs, it can be real difficult for somebody to... Um, to come up with those narrative plays with the environment so it disheartens them uh, which is why I, I like to run a lot of games for newer players on our server because i know that i can allow them to do that and come up with on the spot any consequences or or reactions to what they did to introduce them in what i believe is a better way than some of the dms that i've played with in the past and uh, i want to make sure they have the experience that i have playing with you guys and not the DMs that we've all probably come from um, in the past that sort of just like stop your imagination. They kind of like, these are the rules, you have to do it this way. Or I have this thing in my brain. If you guys step outside of those boundaries, I'm going to disallow it. And I don't want people to be introduced to the game that way. Yeah, that's the, I think all of this kind of beautifully uh, leads me to something else I had some to say next which was um joe brought up tom and then we kind of talked about how to use the environment around you um he and a couple other but he in particular um has what he uh calls creative advantage so you're not going to flank somebody and get advantage from that but if you can come up with something really cool that you're doing with your attack or how to help somebody else or how to interact with your environment right then he's going to give you advantage on it um so for example if i want to use my movement to charge at an enemy and slide through their legs and pop up on the other side and attack them from the other side or or flip over them parkour style and go, ha ha, and then, you know, attack them before they can even turn around. Yeah, um, or ride might... the back in the water to save your friend from being drowned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get on the back of this crocodilian right here and smash it in the back. Something like that, right? <laughs> um, and then you get you get advantage that way. And I oftentimes don't feel like I'm creative, to, uh, creative enough in the instance um, to to use it but um so i shy away from it but i'm always so impressed when other people are able to do it um i mean and also particularly tom kind of scares me because if you do something and it's not cool enough or you describe this really cool thing and then you don't roll well then you wind up having a serious consequence and especially in tomb of annihilation uh, this, the consequences are already too serious i don't want to give myself any other reason to die um other than just standing there um but I mean, there are all sorts of things that you can flavor, like uh, a performance check as a bard or an acrobatics check or um, other kinds of ability checks. And oftentimes we we flavor it as um, I rolled poorly on a lock picking check and oops, now they're stuck in there or you broke your lock picks and you can't pick any locks until you get another one. Um, I guess... Let's say, do any of you have advice to anyone who wants to try and step onto the creative platform and start to try and infuse their actions and their spells and their, you know, ability checks, whatever, with, with flavor? How, how can you inspire them or what advice would you give them to enable 
them to just do it or feel successful in doing it? I um I I think the simplest in my mind the simplest place to start. So spells already have a description. Most of the spells have like a beams of light come out of da di da di da. Um and I think personally for me the simplest way to start being more creative was to acknowledge that that description I now use that just as a guidance for the mechanisms of the spell for the mechanics of the spell how how it's going to work and so on and then adapt that spell to how i want it to look because then you've already got a framework you don't have to be like a super creative person you've got the like the logistics of how this thing is going to work and you know you know that it's got to start from you and end at a point and what have you so -hmm. you've got a framework and you can just do little tweaks to make it fit you personally rather mm-hmm. than starting from scratch with something that you have to like build out massive. Yeah. And once you start doing that, the bigger things come so much easier and become more natural to do. Yeah. I, that reminds me of, um, I have, I have a character who we've mentioned a couple times before. Her name is Winter. She's a lovely tabaxi. Um, <laughs> but one of her spells, uh, actually a couple of them, but one particularly is vitriolic sphere. And, um, she basically hacks up a hairball <laughs> and using, you know, things like that. So, so it is what it is. And it's kind of this sphere of, of nastiness. And so I was like, how can I make this a sphere? of? Oh, I know. Cause I have two cats and sometimes I step into puddles of nastiness. And so I'm just going to use, use my actual environment around me <laughs> to flavor that. But, but you're right. Taking that, that spell description and taking key parts of it and then realizing that like at the end of the day it's the damage done it's the area that 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 damage is affecting and you can kind of recreate it make it put it into a unicorn or make it a hairball or whatever all right the the two of you left that was joe's take lee jason which one of you wants to go next rock paper scissors lee go for it (laughs) um yeah so i think you could just like really simple things that you can do is literally just change the color of a spell that is just something that is so subtle. It doesn't. You don't have to change anything on the spell, but just change the color of it. And that is a jumping off point that can make you gain confidence in doing it. And then Bless you, it'll baby. just, you know, snowball from there. And you, next thing you know, you'll be coming up with your, your cat vomits all over the floor. And <laughs> Everything's pink, including someone familiar. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it could it's be. Just, it's just so simple. And I think that's that can work. But if you if you have an idea and you're not sure about it, the best advice I can give is mm-hmm. go talk to your DM. I know I keep hounding that if your DM is worth what they're doing, they will figure out something and lead you in the right direction. Um, but that's what I feel like it always comes down to. If you're struggling with something, the best place to go is your DM. Or if you're on a cool server like this, check in with everybody on there because I'm sure they'll have tons of ideas. Yeah, I would do want to very quickly piggyback off the back of that and just point out I have never had a DM say to me, no, it's not allowed to look like that. You'll have to try again. They're, That's they're because always... you've only had really I've great had DMs awesome... so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that that's I've had lots of DMs. And yes, you're right. They're all been great. But chances are a DM will just go with it. And they yeah. might ask, maybe they'll try and manipulate it a little bit later on. But just give it a go. Yeah, not Sorry, an ex- experienced DM. Uh, then it, it comes with that. That's a learning curve for them as well to to take 
those descriptions, like I was saying with Lee's Eldritch Blast earlier, and then use their own descriptions against them, uh, mm-hmm. or with them in, in in partnership with their description, then you can expand on that description of how it actually like, kills certain or affects the environment around them. But Lee, Lee said exactly what I was going to say. Start small, change the color of the spell, of the beam. You know, change your character is really loved. Like, just think of Jester. It's either purple or blue or pink, and it's quite pastel-y. Uh, and she had, what, unicorns as part of her spirit guardians uh, as well and had a big lollipop for her spiritual weapon. And it's, you know, it's very much that character. And it's it's dead simple. I would say of a Warhammer, it's going to be a giant lollipop. Similar shape. You know, if it was silhouetted, you wouldn't notice the difference. But you, you start small build from it and then over time you you become more descriptive you can expand on those expansions in the future go well it's it is a lollipop but maybe what else can i use that's vaguely lollipop shaped or warhammer shaped and you start thinking it and go oh maybe because i'm a i'm a blacksmith maybe it's a blacksmith's hammer instead of a warhammer and you make it personal to the character that you're using and and pull from their backstory you're creating the character you know is what's most likely going to uh to be flavored in in the way that it suits your character best uh and, and yeah. again like lee said you can speak to the dm if you're struggling or within our community discord which we've had people recently ask oh we i've, I've been reading this pdf and it says this how do i get around the whole village starting this fight because it says in the in the book and you know maybe the players aren't ready for it or maybe as a dm that is overwhelming from your point of view to be like oh i have to now deal with 19 different combatants against four people <laughs> and it, it can be overwhelming real fast so just ask people who are in communities either on facebook in the discord or online just reddit posts uh, even on D beyond in the descriptions of spells yeah. there's a comment section just ask in there mm-hmm. and people with way more experience than any of us even put together will be like well i've done it this way in the past and the players really enjoyed it but it's a cooperative storytelling game at the end of the day. So cooperate with the people around you and and learn what's the best way to go forward. Yeah, I agree. I I think I think that my piece of advice is that um, creativity is like a muscle, and you need to use it in order for it to grow. Uh, practice is key for so many things, and this is absolutely no exception. Using what you have around you, but also looking into your daily life and seeing what you have in your, not your fantasy environment, but your real environment and how things interact around you is really good to get inspiration to bring into your games. Throwing your reservations out the window and being vulnerable and just going for it is the one way to start to feel comfortable and gain any traction with this new skill. Flavoring things comes naturally to some and not so much to others, and it's something that you can do, but you don't have to do. But if you want to do it and you think that it's cool that other people do it, just try it because nobody around you is going to be offended by it and nobody around you is going to think that you're a fool for trying because that's how we all get better. Um, If you ever really find yourself finding the joy in the description of something that somebody else has brought to the table, ask them about it. Ask your DM about it, fellow player, even those people who are lucky enough to play D&D and get paid for it. Look at what they bring to the table um, and really just think about giving it a try. Have fun with it. And if any of you wicked cool kids listening have any great examples of ways you like to flavor things, we'd love to hear it. Drop us a comment. Um, But 
As always, thank you so much for spending some of your time with us. We're so happy you're here and we'd love for you to stay cool. But remember, if you can't be cool, be wicked. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Wherever you found us today, don't forget to like and subscribe for more great content. And if you want to find out more about what we do, how to support us, pick up some merch and find links to our friends like JB Media, visit us at wickedcoolkids.co.uk.